Hey. hey. You guys are awesome. I love you. I thank God for you. Glad you're in my life. I want to greet those joining us online. We thank God for you guys. Uh, if you're with us for the first time, man, we're delighted that God has brought you. And just, I mean, this is a suggestion. And maybe that's all that it is. But I'd like to suggest to you that God has drawn you here in his effort to draw you closer to Jesus. Because that's what we're all about. We thank God for you. Um, let me start with a non-Jesus question. How many of you um, can remember being in high school English class. Anybody? How about you? I'm just kidding. High school English? Oh, yeah. How many of you feel like that memory has been scrubbed from your brain? You know you were in high school English, but it's kind of a blur. Well, I've got a confession to make. I am a word nerd. After all the English classes in college and high school, three years of Latin, three years of Greek, a couple years of Hebrew, um, I'm into words. Now, from high school English, do you remember the term simile? Okay, I'm getting some blank stares. Here's something that helps me remember. A simile uh, is a figure of speech comparing two unlike things using the word like. I, I just came across some similes written by college students taking a university-level college exam, okay? English exam. Here's some examples that they wrote. The little boat drifted gently across the pond just like a bowling ball would not. That's a B. John and Mary had never met just like two hummingbirds that had never met. D. Here's a, here's a romantic one. Her hair glistened in the rain just like nose hair after a sneeze. <laughs> Ew, nasty. Oh, it made me sniff. Um, okay, her vocabulary was as bad as like whatever. One more. The, their bad finances were like a beast busting up their dreams. I, I wrote that one this week. Because we're talking about the generous life. And for some people, that feels like an impossible dream. The possibility of being generous with God. They can't be generous with their family. They've been feeding the money monster. And the more we feed the money monster, the weaker we get financially and the greater strength that holds over our lives. It's like we've gotten the beat down from this beast. It's like a, a financial cage fight. And we are just crushed cruelly to the mat and it pummels us and it's like we're never gonna be able to get up. Do you know how to tell if you're in financial, serious financial trouble? There are three tells. One is that you're living paycheck to paycheck. Some unexpected expense is coming and you're gonna suffer financial disaster. That's number one, living paycheck to paycheck. No margin, no savings. Uh, second is being unable to pay off all the credit cards in full each month. Trouble is coming. And thirdly, having more uh, a heavier debt load than you have assets or money and savings. Three tells about financial trouble. And I know personally from experience because when I was in my 20s with my Debbie, we were married at 22. And for the first 
eight years of our marriage, man, I just wreaked havoc with our finances. I was so immature and so stupid. I would buy whatever I wanted. I would buy things that we could not afford. And when I would buy me a brand new big stereo that we couldn't afford, I would feel compelled to buy my Debbie a brand new sewing machine that she wanted. I mean, how could I get something for me and not something for her? And so deeper and deeper, I didn't count on the sewing machine when I bought the stereo, but it took us deeper into debt. I bought it on credit, bought both on credit. I had one car with two car payments. That's how stupid I was. And it really, it wasn't funny. It was, um, I'm ashamed to tell you about that part of my life. But when, um, but when I hit 30, I came here to Beloit to serve as pastor of this church with my Debbie. We had two little boys, Josh and Jake. And um, I, I, I was the preacher. I mean, previously I had graduated from a Christian college. I'd been ordained in the ministry and I'd been serving in the church as a pastor, not preaching, but youth pastor uh, for like, six or seven years. And I had lied my way um, through that time about finances. When I say lie, I knew what the Bible taught about being generous with God. I knew that the Bible said that you should bring the first 10% of your income. But here was lie number one. I was making $10,000 a year at the time. And I told myself, that's not very much money. And this is my way of giving myself a raise. That's the kind of jerk I was. Or I would say to myself, if we have any money left over at the end of the week, then I'll give some to God. We never had any. We never had any. We were in trouble the whole time. And then when we moved to Beloit and I was the preacher, I knew I had to preach God's word. I had to preach all of God's word. And if I was going to preach God's word, I had to live it. I had to live all of it. So no more lies. At age 30, I discovered two secrets, spiritual secrets that we began to practice in our finances, in our marriage. And I'm not going to blow smoke at you. It didn't happen overnight, but through the process of time, I never thought we would get out of that hole. Never. I never thought I would be free of that financial pain, but practicing those two secrets, not only did we, over the course of a few years, not only did we get out of that hole, I mean, previously, we had creditors calling. That's the kind of trouble I was in. Not only did we get out of that hole, but not, I I would say maybe a decade after that. It's been decades now that Deb and I have been living debt-free. No car payments. No medical bills hanging over our head. No credit cards, no second mortgage. I had a second mortgage at one time. No second mortgage, no house payment. Living totally debt-free by living these two secrets that I want to share with you today. And you know where I got these secrets? I got them from Jesus. He would use similes to teach secrets like this. As an example, let let me just show you this. He said, you, and he's talking about you. He was talking about Dave Clark. He's talking about you. He's talking about the listeners that were standing in front of him, but he's talking about you. And he said, you, you have been given the chance. This is your chance to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Now, the kingdom of heaven has a completely different economy than the kingdom of this world. But there are secrets in the kingdom of heaven. 
that can cause you to flourish where others flounder in their finances. Now, Jesus would go on using simile after simile. He would say, the kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like that. But here's the simile he uses in our story today. Jesus teaches this way. The kingdom of heaven is like, there's a simile, like a man, a capitalized man, because this rich guy in the story represents God. The kingdom of heaven is like a man going on a trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them. He gave one man $10,000, another $4,000, and another $2,000. Each was given money based on his ability. Then the man went on his trip, each given a different amount of money. We all, you, me, we all have different amounts of money. You have your amount, I have my amount. I believe God has given us these amounts based on how well we manage. If we manage well what he has given us, he gives us more. I mean, take for instance somebody, if they're making $40,000 a year and they're struggling to manage that 40,000, they win the lottery, the lottery is four million, they will have that $4 million in four years whittled down to 40,000. You know what I'm talking about? If you can't handle 40,000, you'll never be able to handle 50,000, let alone four million. So God gives us each what we have based on our abilities. And if we manage well what he has given us, he gives us more. Now that's not the first secret. Did you catch the little phrase that unearths, that reveals the first secret to financial freedom? Here it is. Jesus said, he, God, entrusted his money to them. It's, it's his money. You see, this is secret number one. God is the king of the kingdom of heaven. He owns everything. He's the king of the kingdom of heaven. He created the economic system within the kingdom of heaven. It's not like the system of the world. It's in the kingdom of heaven. It functions by a whole different process. It functions by two secrets. And the first is this, that God is owner. Everything I have, everything you have belongs to God. We're just in management. We're the managers. He's entrusted our clothes our cars, our house, um, our breath, even our heartbeats have been given to us by God. Now, this is true of everybody on the planet. Now, I'm assuming you're a servant in the kingdom of heaven. Well, and here's how you know. If you're not sure if you're a servant in the kingdom of heaven, here's how you know. You serve God with your time. You serve God with your ability. You serve God with your energy. You serve God with your money. If you are serving God, if you're a servant, like one of the servants in the story, then you're in the kingdom of heaven. And God owns everything that you have. Now, there are people in the world, the vast majority of people in the world don't believe that. They believe that they are the little K kings of their little K kingdom. But if you're a servant in the kingdom of heaven, God is your king. He owns everything. And those who understand the potential power of God's ownership, man, it is, it is huge. For instance, how many of you right now are teaching teenagers to drive? Anybody? Okay. Uh, let's pray for these folks right now. 
I taught four teenagers. I feel your pain, Danielle. I taught four teenagers how to drive. We would go out on the country roads and I was scared of every mailbox we drove by. Um, But there was one principle that I was clear about with all four of my children. I own the car. It's my car. I will entrust it to your care. You can use it. But I reserve, I retain the full rights of ownership. Ownership has rights. If you, if you care for this car well, you can use it. If you ever break my trust, I'm the owner. I can take the car back anytime I want. It's the same as true of us and God. He owns everything we have. And he reserves the right of ownership. If we manage well that which he's entrusted to us, he he gives us more. He allows us more. But he's the owner. Um, Just to show you that this is a pattern all through the word of God, just check out these scriptures with me. Here's the first one, book of Deuteronomy. Remember, now the word remember in the Old Testament part of the Bible is huge. The Hebrew word doesn't mean to recall something from the past. It means when you think about something, you take immediate action to the good of that person. So it says, remember that the sky, the highest heavens, the earth and everything, say everything, Everything, the earth and everything it contains belongs to the Lord your God. Again in Deuteronomy, another remember, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God for it is he that gives you the ability to produce wealth. This is the book of Job. Did you know that Job is the earliest book in the Bible. It's not the first book. First book is the book of Genesis. But before the book of Genesis was written, the book of Job was written. And in this earliest writing in the Bible, God makes this declaration about himself. Everything under heaven belongs to me. And one more. Book of Psalms, Psalm 50. God says, hey, if I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you. You're broke. Now he says, if I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you because I own the world and everything in it. Now God, when he makes these declarations, it's not like he's on some massive ego trip bragging. No, God always wants our best, whether it's in our marriage, our parenting, our finances, our emotions, our mental well-being. God knows that we have this destructive bent We will destroy ourselves by thinking, hey, I'll work for it. I earned it. It's mine. Keep your hands off. It's nobody's but mine. There was a guy in the Bible. His name was David. He was actually the king, greatest king in the history of Israel. He got this concept. That it's not his. The kingship, the kingdom was not his. Everything he had, everything he possessed belonged to God. In fact, one day he's in worship like we're in worship. And his people had just brought this um, outstanding, generous, sacrificial offering. And so David then is compelled to pray over this offering that his people have brought. Here's how he prays. He prays this way. Who am I, God? And who are my people, Lord? 
that we are able to give as generously as this. I mean, everything comes from you. We have given you only what comes from your hand. That's secret number one to financial freedom. Honor God, honor God, honor God as owner. But just as quickly then in the story, Jesus reveals secret number two. Our generosity taps us into the miraculous. Um, You see, if we have problems and God is the owner, it's his problem. I was talking to my son Wilkie uh, recently. He has a full-time job at Frito-Lay and then he has a landscaping and lawn care business. And I told my son, hey, he drives one of those stand-up forklifts at Frito-Lay. And I said, you know what? Uh, if, you, if, if that forklift dies at Frito-Lay, is that your problem or Frito-Lay's problem? That's Frito-Lay's problem. That's right, son. They're the owner. But if some of your equipment dies on you, whose problem is that? That's mine, dad. Yeah, because you own your business. See, if we have financial problems, and God is the owner, he's responsible, responsible to take care of our problems. And I believe that when we practice God honoring him as owner, he takes care of the struggles for us on the basis of our generosity. Um, when I was younger, when we were trying to get out of debt, man, we, would, we lived as cheaply as we could. Remember when I said I had one car payment? I mean, one car with two car payments on the same car? Well, now we just... We have one good car and one car payment, and now I go out and buy beaters. Have you ever bought a beater? Like 500 bucks, and you drive it till the wheels fall off, or you gotta you know, get it to the junkyard. I had one, the transmission was going out, but if I put it in low, it would still go. I drove it all the way to the junkyard. Get a little bit more money from them, go buy another beater. Well, one day, Wilkie had driven, he was working at Culver's as a kid, had driven the junker that we owned, to Culver's. He's closing the restaurant for the night, so it's late. And as he's beginning to drive our junker out of the Culver's parking lot and head toward Cranston, the transmission blows. He's able to coast the car across Cranston into the parking lot um, of Walmart, <laughs> leaving a trail of transmission fluid all across the way. He calls me up, tells me what happens. I go get him, look at the situation, um, sneak away in the night. Um, no, the next day I go to Walmart, go inside the automotive section and tell them uh, what's happened, that that's my car, I'll take care of it. And the young man said, no, I want to buy that car. I'll, I'll give you $750 for that car and I'll have it towed off. I said, what? Have you been smoking? <laughs> I didn't say that. I said, um, well, let me think about it. Okay. Um, he, he wanted to give it to his mom. He felt like he could fix the transmission himself and then make it a gift to his mom who needed a car. And um, so on the way home, well, I go home, and he goes home, get the title, come back. He gives me the $750, give him the title. I go home with the 750 bucks in my pocket, and I'm singing, God, I just sold your car. God, I just sold your car. That was the first verse. Second verse went like this. Now I need another car. Now I need another car. Do you know within, I mean, we needed another car within a week of that time. I didn't ask anybody for help. I was called by a car dealership in Janesville 
and that someone had purchased a car for me. All I had to do was come and pick it up. It wasn't a new car, but it was worth 10 times the junker I'd left at Walmart. You see, when you see God as the owner and you have a problem, on the basis of your consistent generosity, he takes care of the problem, even if it takes a miracle. And that's how the story goes on in the text. Let's look at this together. The one who received $10,000, well, he invested the money at once and doubled his, what the heck, money. How do you double money? Wouldn't you love to know if somebody gives you 10 grand and you could turn it at once into 20 grand? Wouldn't that be amazing? How do you do that? Would it underscore the miraculous work of God Jesus tells about the second guy and the same thing, the very same thing happens. The one who had $4,000 did the same and also doubled his money. How did these guys do that? Wouldn't you like, to, I wanna know, how did they double their money? I mean, did they have some sort of get rich quick scheme? <laughs> no, the Bible is anti get rich quick. Because if you don't have the maturity on this end to handle what you got, you ain't gonna be able to handle riches. Did they go to the casino and like play blackjack and hit the slots? No. Did they win the lottery? No, I know for sure they didn't play the market. I've had money there. The, I have a CD. Best CD I've got makes 7.5%. That's really good today. They only give it to me for seven months. The best Roth IRA I have guarantees 6%. I want to tell you something, friends. Five, 6%, that is a universe away from doubling your money. It will take me forever to double my How did they double their money? I believe, I am absolutely convinced that Jesus is preaching the power of generosity. These men, the point of the story is that these men were generous with their money and it came back to them double. Now, I believe that because that belief is consistent with how Jesus taught on our money. You know, Jesus taught more about money than anything, more than about prayer, more than about faith. Let me just give you an example of one of his teachings on resources that makes me believe that he's talking, these two guys were generous and because of their generosity, they doubled their money. Here's the text, Luke 6, 38. Give and you will receive. In fact, your gift will return to you in full. But that's not all. It will come back pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. The one man, his amount was $10,000. The amount he got back, he got 20. He had 20. The second man, his amount was $4,000. He doubled that. He got back. He had eight. I believe it's all about generosity and that we tap into the miraculous work of God when we are generous. God is owner and he blesses our generosity. But, but, but all of a sudden there is a plot twist in the story. The listeners, the audience of Jesus, as they listened, they anticipated that the same thing would happen to the next guy. But look what happens. The story, the simile story of Jesus goes on. The one who received 4,000, I guess I did that. Oh, I don't want to go there. Do I want to go there? Okay. 
I love you. If I was still the lead pastor, you'd get a raise. Um, the master of the servants returned. And here, here's the deal. Here's what I wanted to say. As Jesus climaxes the story with this plot twist, he doesn't give us another secret. The first two secrets are enough. Honor God, honor God as owner. And number two, your generosity taps into the miraculous work of God. What he does with the end, the climax of his story is say that there is going to be a, a time of accounting for all of us. That there will be a day of reckoning. Here was the day of reckoning for the servants. The one who received 10,000 invested the money. Oh, I did that, didn't I? Keep going. Get me back to where you were. Okay, the master of the servants returned and settled accounts. It was a time of accountability, day of reckoning. Uh, the one who received 10,000 brought the additional 10,000. He said, sir, you gave me 10,000. I've doubled the amount. His master, his master replied, Good job, you good and faithful servant. You have proved that you could be trusted with a small amount. I will put you in charge of a large amount. Come and share in your master's happiness. Now, helping me on my slides, remember where we are because I think I was right and I'm taking back your imaginary race. I wanna go back to the number, the guy with $2,000. And if we can't find it, here's what happens. Remember, First two guys, 10,000, 4,000, they at once invest, double their money. But the guy with $2,000, we can't find it. I'll tell you what, I know the story. I preached this four times. He buries his 2,000 in the ground. He buries his 2,000 in the ground. Why does he do that? These other guys are out being generous and their generosity is paying off. He buries it in the ground. Why? Is he, is he afraid somebody will steal it? Is, is, is he mad because one guy got 10, one guy got four, he got two? You'll find out the answer. You see, um, the one who received the 2,000 went off, dug a hole and hid his master's money. Now, now, here's the point for you and me. It's not about how much money we have. That's not what matters. It's what we do with what we've got. Okay, it's what we do with what we've got. There's gonna be a day of reckoning for you and I. We will be held accountable for what we've done with what God has given us, for how we practice the two secrets of his economics in the kingdom of heaven. So, now let's go on to the text. Settled accounts, uh, keep going because we know this guy is a good and faithful servant. Welcome into your master's happiness. You see, what we didn't learn in Luke 6.38, give and it will return to you in full and even more, you'll get double measure. What we didn't learn is that there are blessings that come into our life on the basis of our generosity that are beyond anything money can buy. Masters, God's happiness, that can be on your marriage. God's happiness, that can be in your parenting. God's happiness, yes, it can be financial. But beyond that, it can be emotional. You can have the joy of the Lord and the joy of the Lord can be your strength. You can have the peace that passes all understanding. It, it can be on your mental health. 
Come and enjoy the master's happiness. And just to underscore that this is true, look what happens to the second servant, the guy with 4,000 who turned it into 8,000. The one who received 4,000 came and said, sir, you gave me $4,000. I doubled that amount. The master replied, good job. Very same words, you good and faithful servant. You proved that you could be trusted with a small amount. I will put you in charge of more, a larger amount. Come and share in your master's happiness. And then the one who received 2,000 came and said, Sir, I knew that you were a hard person. He's talking to God. Is God a hard person? No, God is... God is love. This guy doesn't know the master. This guy doesn't know God. I knew that you were a hard person to please. Is God hard to please? No, you are, he takes great pleasure in you right now, just as you are. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been with your life, no matter what screw-ups are coming in your future, God is absolutely pleased with you. It's his nature to be pleased with his children. This guy doesn't know the master. This guy doesn't know God. I knew that you were a hard person. But here's the truth. He told the truth. I was afraid. And that was David Clark back in his 20s. I was afraid if I gave to God, there wouldn't be enough left for me for what I wanted. I was afraid. And it broke us. I'm ashamed to tell you about that part of my life. But just like this guy is truthful, I'm being truthful. He was afraid, I was afraid. That's what keeps anybody from being generous. It's fear because generosity will get you out of the financial struggle. He was afraid. So I hid your $2,000 in the ground. The master responded, you evil and lazy servant. That's what he was calling me back in my 20s. That's who I was. I might be ordained minister. I might be in ministry, but I was an evil and lazy servant. You should have invested my money with The bankers, when I returned, I would least have received my money back with interest. Take the 2,000, get this, pay attention now. Take the 2,000 away from him. He's gonna lose it and give it to the one who has 10,000. To all who have more, more will be given and they will be given even, they will have even more, 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 more. So, When I was 30, Deb and I came here to serve as pastor of this church. Um, I'm 71 now, though I look like 51, I know. Um, But when I came to Beloit, I, I, I was brought into conviction by God. I wasn't a youth pastor anymore. I wasn't an associate minister. I was the preaching minister. And I had, if it was in God's word, I had to preach it. And if I had to preach it, I had to live it. And we, had, we still had the serious financial problems. We had creditors calling us, but we made an agreement, Deb and I, that we would bring. And when we came to Beloit, our salary was $17,000. And so we, we agreed, we made a commitment that we would tithe that. We would bring the first 10% of that every week uh, to the Lord. And remarkably, he got us out of the hole. Remarkably, couple decades later, God is completely, absolutely out of debt. Back in that time when we turned 30, we, this became our life verse. 
Bring one-tenth of your income into my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. See if I won't open the windows of heaven, open the windows of heaven for you and flood you with blessings. Deb and I have discovered that our heaven, in the kingdom of heaven, there are great, big, God-sized windows and our God is good and faithful to every promise he makes. I mean, who are we? Who's David? Who is Debbie? We're nobody. We just trust God. And I'd encourage you to do the same. Would you pray with me? Lord, we want to ask right now that you just burn these lessons, these secrets from Jesus into our hearts. That Lord, we honor you as owner of all things. And that as we are consistently generous with you, we tap into the miracle working power of God. We praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wire podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwire.com and follow us on our social media platforms. That way you can stay up to date with what's happening here at Central. And as always, have a great week.